Hello and welcome to Defiant Optimism, the inspiring podcast from Smiley Movement, where we talk to extreme fundraisers, the people who go above and beyond to raise money and awareness for an important cause. I'm Amy, the chief editor here at Smiley Movement, and I'm always amazed by the insane challenges some people do to give back. So today my guest is 55-year-old Marcia Roberts, who set a world record in 2020 by becoming the first woman to cycle from Land's End to John O'Groats and back again, which is called a Le Joggle. Marcia took 11 days, 13 hours and 13 minutes to complete her challenge and she even battled through Storm Francis during the ride. She raised money for her local mental health charity, Solent Mind, and ended up fundraising more than £10,000. So welcome, Marcia. What an introduction. How does it feel to be a world record holder? Yeah, it was very surreal, to be honest. You know, at, um, I've never I've never won a medal. I've never won a race. I've never, well, I've never even entered a race. Um, so to go straight in there with, well, I've never done any of this. I'm going to go for a world record instead was, was a bit of a jump, really. <laughs> I absolutely love that determination. I've just given a bit of an introduction there, but did you want to talk a bit about your challenge and... What inspired you to do it and why you decided to do it? Well, there's a few reasons, really. I started to, I've always enjoyed long distance cycling. Um, I've never been particularly good at it in terms of speed, but it was just something I love doing. My legs will keep turning and I was due to do a race around the Netherlands. My first ever race, ultra endurance race that was going to be um, completely self-supported and that was due to happen in May 2020. So, of course, it didn't happen. It got cancelled. Well, it got postponed in the end. But um, basically, I couldn't live with the uncertainty and I couldn't train for something that I didn't know wasn't going to happen. Yeah. So, you know, I'd been training all through the winter. I thought, well, you know, I'm quite fit now. I wonder what else I could maybe do instead. So I started nurturing this idea of a of a homegrown event. And when I had a look, I realised that no woman has ever, I don't know whether they've never attempted it, but they've certainly never recorded a time to do Land's End to John O'Groats and back. See, Land's End to John O'Groats, lots of people do that. Um, but not many people do it back again as well. But yeah, the time set have only been by men. So I thought, well, the distance is about right. It was about it was a little bit more than I was expecting to do for the race around the Netherlands. Um, the biggest difference was obviously the Netherlands was going to be a very flat and windy ride. This was going to be a very hilly ride. Um, mm. But I realised that not only could I do it, but I could be the first woman and basically set set the record for it. And so this small little idea of I wonder whether I can change my training to start training for hills and maybe do it by the end of the summer, it sort of came about. So you hadn't done a race before and you were going to do the one in the Netherlands. You ended up committing to doing the Le Joggle. How did you feel mentally before you started that? Because it is it's a huge challenge. No woman had ever recorded doing that before. How did you sort of psych yourself up to go ahead and commit and just think, yes, this is it, I'm going to do it. It was quite a long drawn out process, to be honest, partly because um, when I registered it with uh, this attempt with Guinness, um, I thought by being the first person to do something, it kind of didn't really matter what time I did it in, I'd get the records. But that's not how Guinness define it. They set you what they think you should do. And they okay. they originally came back and said, well, yeah, we'll accept it as a record attempt, but you've got to do it in seven days. And I kind of coughed and spluttered and cried a bit. 
and um, said, no, that's not going to happen and asked them for their their theory as to why they came up with that. And they said, well, the first man's record that was set was just under seven days. I said, yeah, but that was a man's record that was completely um, supported, had a team behind them and everything. I was looking at doing it Mm -hmm. self-supported. So I had to, I kind of argued and went back and forwards with them and they came back with a, well, we'll set it at eight and a half days. I was like, well, that's 200 miles a day. Okay, I'm not going to be able to do this self-supported. So I um, signed up my husband to help me for some of it. He couldn't he couldn't support me for all of it because he had work commitments. But he signed up for um, seven days, six days initially. And basically he was going to follow us, follow us up in the um, follow us, follow me up in our sort of semi converted Ford Transit van with the dog in the back (laughs) (laughs) and basically be there to feed me and let me have somewhere to sleep if I couldn't get to a hotel which um, by the time I got to well and also we knew in Scotland I wasn't going to be able to book hotels because there were no suitable hotels that would allow me to turn up at any time of the day or night all the way up through well once I got north of Glasgow you know everybody kind of wants you to be there by check in by nine o'clock you know like there was a fair chance I might not turn up till one o'clock in the morning so I needed some support and something to sleep in basically going up through Scotland and back um so that was my support crew my husband and my dog um (laughs) (laughs) but um so in training we worked out that um or myself and my coach devised this idea that well if I did 200 miles a day and split it into 50 four 50 mile blocks or roughly 50 mile blocks with a break in between um that it would be possible and so I trained to that so I never trained less than 50 miles sometimes it was one 50 mile block sometimes it was two 50 mile blocks but I would always go out and train in these 50 mile blocks so that mentally and physically my body was just used to it that was a bike ride A bike ride was always 50 miles or around 50 miles or three and a half hours, which is what these blocks were um, designed to be. And I know I can ride 16 to 18 hours a day if I need to. So it was so mentally it was just putting together that bit that it's been tried and tested in training that I can do those blocks, multiple blocks. What I hadn't really tried and tested was whether I could do them for seven days solid. But certainly I could do them for a day. I could do them for two days. Um, It allowed a little bit of flexibility and a little bit of sleep. I mentioned I stressed the little bit of sleep. There wasn't a lot of sleep going on (laughs) in the end. No. Um, But so in theory, I could do it. In practice, however, there were a a few other things out there that were uh, destined to make it even more hard. So talking about the ride itself, so 11 days, 11 and a half days of cycling, miles, hundreds of miles each day. How was that for you mentally and physically? How Were there any unexpected niggles you had that you had to get over? Did you really have to push yourself through mentally to get up each day, get back on your bike and start riding? Yeah, it got harder and harder the less sleep I got. Um, but you do have a problem with the sleep anyway. Sometimes I would go um, try to go to sleep. I say, right, I'm not setting an alarm. I actually, I know I need my sleep. So, you know, two or three times throughout it, I decided that 
you know, I would sleep for as long as I needed. But there's still something going on in your brain that says you can't sleep for a long time. You've got to get up. Yeah. And it wakes you up. And instead of going back to sleep, you get up and you go. But one of the things that really pushed me on was the amount of support I was getting. So I set up a sort of Facebook group for the people I knew um, and a few people that were supporting me. And initially there were about 120 people on there. And I said, well, you know, if you want to follow my progress, Del, I'll post things. My husband, Del, he'll post some things as well. But we need to not be putting them on Instagram and all over the place. We just have this one group. If people then want to share it out from there, they can. Um, by about halfway up, I got there were about a thousand people in the group where people were just finding the group and adding. And that was pushing the um, the sponsorship up. It was um, people were just stopping by the side of the road and waving at me. I even had people flag me down and give me 20 pound notes for charity and things like that. Yeah. Oh, really? Did you have some sign or anything on the, on your back to, to tell people what you were doing? I had my um, my La Joggle T-shirt on or my jersey. Um, but no, people I had a tracker so people could track me up. And basically, basically, I had stalkers stalking me. I was a bit worried about you know, <laughs> nipping behind a hedge to um, to do what you need to do sometimes. Because I thought, well, what if somebody thinks I've crashed and they come and try and find me? And I was always <laughs> worried that I'd just pop out from behind a hedge and somebody would be there going, oh, you're OK. <laughs> we just wanted to sponsor you. <laughs> yeah, people, people were popping up all over the place. Um, and there was um, a period when I'd, between the Lake District and... Um, sort of Monmouthshire there was a period where I didn't have any support with me at all Mm. thankfully my husband decided to come back and a lovely lady actually got her big mobile home out and supported me for a couple of days through Scotland as well um yeah there was this this period of about a day a day and a half where I had no on the road support and the Oh, my goodness. The number of people that would just stop by the roadside and say, here, I've got some food for you. I've got this for you. I've got that for you. They would beep it, beep in their horns. I mean, the Northwest were absolutely amazing. Definitely the friendliest people. If ever you're on a, an ultra endurance ride, they'll just come out in the middle of the night and support you. Um, one man, I suppose, you know, I'd got so used to the the kindness of strangers that, to be honest, I accepted people's um, people's offers of help with good grace rather than oh I shouldn't be you know um everybody was so nice I even had um one guy said I live right on the route um do you want a pasta meal I said oh yes please <laughs> and I went in and you know made me coffee and did a pasta meal and we were he was literally right on the route and he he rode a little bit with me and then he helped me afterwards rode quite a bit through the night just talking with mm. me and it was just yeah. helping to keep me awake because I was well behind schedule at this point you realize then that when that many people are watching you and really willing you on you can't stop you just can't stop it does push you if I was completely on my own I probably would never have made it to Scotland <laughs> <laughs> struggled to get out of bed no I'm sure another thing that would have um, kept you going would have been the amount of money you raised so just to touch on the people that were sponsoring you they were sponsoring um to support your local mental health charity um Solent Mind what was it that made you decide to raise money for Mind and um how was that impact of having ending up with more than ten thousand pounds for that charity yeah it started with um 
this idea that well, if I was going to go and do something pretty epic, I should raise some money. And um, in the past, I've always raised money for actually a slightly different mental health charity, but it was because they did a lot of work with homeless. Um, but mental health really seemed it was so important, especially, you know, from 2020 with the pandemic, because um, everybody was suddenly thrown into this this different way of living. And it it messes with your mind. It really does. You know, one day we're all going to work in an office or a shop or whatever it is we do. And then all of a sudden we're told we have to stay at home and we're only allowed out once a day and we're not allowed to go and see anybody. And um, I mean, I was quite lucky. Cause my, my work has set up that we could work from home anyway. It's our kind of disaster recovery plan. You pick up sticks and work from home. So we were we were pretty OK with it, but we didn't have video conferencing or anything at the time. And we were literally just not seeing anybody for days on end. But we were the lucky ones. We were working. We still had interaction with people. But, you know, I knew people that owned their own businesses that had just suddenly stopped um, people that weren't working, people that suddenly had to go on to furlough, um, and all these people who absolutely rely on interaction with other people just weren't getting it. Events were stopping, so charities weren't getting all of that sponsorship money that they usually get in, and everybody was raising money for the national health, which was wonderful, but all of these other charities were missing out. And all I could think of and all I could see was people suffering with their mental health by being locked away. Um, and certainly some friends of mine suffered in a big way, um, you know, with a loss of loss of business and all of that kind of thing. I thought we need to be helping these charities, not shutting them down and not, you know, they need to not be losing money. They need more money than ever to help them do their services. And Solent Mind is a it's a local it's a local branch of the uh, National Mind organisation, and they provide twenty four hour um, mental health support. They um, have a support group that um, works with families of military personnel as well. And I live in Portsmouth, so um, military and navy is a very big part of our our local life. Um, so that's really really important. And yeah, it just seemed to me to be the right right charity to fundraise for. And as part of the challenge as well, I heard from a lot of people that actually joined me on the ride, joined me because they were inspired because we were raising money for mental health. And actually, they started telling me their own stories about their own mental health battles and actually how cy either cycling or my um, my challenge actually helped them on their mental health journeys as well and I've, I've blogged on some of them some of them actually shared their stories with me as well and I've um, I've blogged about those so it wasn't only that raising that ten thousand pound which would have helped the charity to help people it was also the actual ride and the very fact of fundraising for that charity that inspired people to come along and share share their stories with you which yeah. in turn would have helped them as well it's amazing yeah and I'm just imagining at the I'm picturing the finish line where you had been cycling for 11 and a half days. You had met so many people. You had experienced the kindness of strangers and you had raised thousands for charity. I've got goosebumps just thinking about it. <laughs> How was that moment? I don't think I cried. I did quite well not to cry. Um, I had spent the previous 24 hours barely awake. I mean, how I, well, 
it was the last 50 miles was the longest 50 miles of my life it probably took me not three and a half hours it took me about 10 um literally every lay by on the a30 i had to stop and um shut my eyes i hadn't seen any more any cyclists since oakhampton where i'd left a friend who'd cycled with me through the night and it just seemed so long ago and suddenly this guy who is wide awake and cheerful and chatty just appears and says I'm going to ride with you through Hale and he actually rode rode through with me and he rode through until some more bikers caught up with me and then we and then my son um arrived in Penzance as well and Mm -hmm. I'd ridden along with him for about 10 minutes before I actually realized it was my son that's how tired (laughs) I was he didn't say hi mum he just cycled next to me and and I turned around and said oh it's you Um, (laughs) so everything was just strange but when I arrived and um my husband had don't stop me now playing on his phone and um my son's fiance was ringing cowbells and everybody was running along with me and this this peloton cycled up to the flag um up to the signpost and yeah it was just amazing oh and the sun came out and we had the amazing sunset it had the the rain had been absolutely foul all day and eventually the sun came out at hail um and the rain had been so bad that actually the police escorted us off the A30 because they said it was too dangerous because lorries were passing too close. Um, the weather had been that bad. But to arrive at this sunset was just a magical moment. Yeah, what an incredible achievement. And I can just imagine seeing that and you can finally dream of having a good night's sleep yeah. <laughs> without knowing you're going to get up and cycle again. Yeah, that was that was the best thing, actually. It's like, in the end, I didn't actually get a good night's sleep because I was I was so buzzing. The but, adrenaline, um, I'm sure. And yeah. to be fair, I actually drunk quite a lot of caffeine just to get me to the end. So it was it was going to take a lot for me to go t- to sleep. But um, just to sink in a bath and know that I didn't have to get up and get on my bike the next day was just amazing. <laughs> yeah, and a few, a few you said a few times that people um, coming with you and having support those were the types of things that really helped get you through and one thing um, at Smiley Movement we we talk a lot about scaling out good ideas and when people do these amazing things how can it inspire others to also drive positive change so I was wondering if what key lessons would you give to someone or what piece of advice would you give to someone who is listening to your story and thinks do you know what maybe I could do a cycling challenge. Maybe they wouldn't do a joggle, but they might <laughs> cycle a certain amount of miles. I mean, from listening to you, having that support has been crucial. Was there anything else that you think would be helpful for people to know that got you through such a huge challenge? I think preparation is the biggest thing. Um, I firmly believe that you can do anything you want if you're prepared to put in the time beforehand and prepare. We are, I, I came from being a, somebody who, to be fair, I could always cycle a long way. Um, but I came from somebody who could only cycle a long way very, very slowly to somebody who took on a, um, a big challenge like this on my own, really. And I got basically from, from cycling a sort of an average of about 11 or 12 miles an hour to cycling between sort of 15 and 17 miles an hour at in my fifties. 
I'd never cycled those sorts of speeds before, but I got a coach um, who understood about um, training for long distance and speed and endurance. Um, I put the time in, I trained and it took a little while, but I, you just start to see little improvements. And I think if you can focus on the small improvements, that can always inspire you because if you can improve once, you can improve again and again and again. There's, there's no there's no point where you stop improving. Well, no, I guess there is. But, you know, if you're coming from a place of no experience, then you've got the body and the mind are will expand to the point that you'll let them. Um, and you're only really confined by your own your own thoughts of your limitations. Your limitations are not what you think they are. Um, you're always capable of doing a lot more than you believe you are. And I think that's key. Um, I, one of the things I did, um, inspired by Emily Chapel and her invisible peloton that she talked about, I thought, an invisible peloton that'll help me get going get through and actually what I did was I set up a virtual challenge which is actually something that I'd done and I realized how much it inspired me to keep getting on my bike day after day after day and I decided to set up a virtual challenge to run alongside mine and so starting on the same day I set up I set off I um set up a virtual challenge where people can basically ride the same distance as me but they get four months to do it not eight and a half or 11 days um and they follow the route that I'm doing it's all on on the computer every time you log a ride you can see your progress along this map it's been really good and for me it was also good as well because at the end of a big event you often get a big come down but I knew that I was still helping with trying to motivate these guys to achieve their goal um and most of them did it most of them finished that's amazing. And that that sense of determination that you had and you inspired in those other riders is very much what we're focusing on in this podcast. So it's called Define Optimism. And one thing we ask all our um, guests on the podcast is what does the phrase define optimism mean to you? Define optimism. Well, one thing is, as I've already touched on, um, we're only defined by what we perceive our limitations to be. So for me, I think if you know you can theoretically do something, then get out and give it a go. Because if you don't get it a go, the optimism is about, this isn't defining it very well at all, is it? It's the great. It's great. I love it. <laughs> the optimism is about believing that you might be able to do something. You don't necessarily have to believe that you can, but you need to believe that you might. And if you might, you should give it a go. We're going to inspire so many more cyclists. <laughs> um, and what can people do if they want to find out more, whether they want to join on your virtual Le Joggle or your virtual there and back? Um, can they still support you? Can they still um, sponsor you? Where can people go to find out more? OK, so I have a blog, which is com. It stands for Middle Aged Woman on a Bike. If you take the first letter from each one, that's where Mawanavello comes from. That's where you can read all about my adventures. Um, I do post a link to my events as well on there. Um, I also have another site called Be Your Adventures, 
And that's where I'll be posting actually all of the details of our next virtual event. And our next one is a um, national parks adventure where you get to ride a route that picks up all the national parks up through the UK. There's also an, my first actual real event coming up in December. That's quite a big challenge, though. Um, that's a, a Rafa Festive 500 version, but all in one go. If you don't know what that is, it's um, Rafa do something called a, a Festive 500, which is to try and do 500 kilometres between Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve. And a lot of people go out and they'll do 100k a day or something like that. Well, we've decided that we're going to put an event together that you can do the whole lot in just two days. Um, so that will be advertised on my website as well. We're just putting the final details together on that. So that's that's a pretty big challenge. Well, we look forward to hearing more about your adventures. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been amazing to listen to what you managed to achieve and get through and push through with the kindness and the help of strangers. Um it's been amazing to listen to you and thank you very much thank you very much for having me and thank you all for listening i'm sure you are probably as inspired as i am about marcia's amazing cycling journey if you enjoyed the podcast please subscribe rate and share it with someone else who may need a little inspiration in their lives or if you're looking for some more positivity head to our website smileymovement.org to get your daily dose of smiley news thanks for listening